Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Apalachicola. We pray that these messages challenge and encourage you. Now let's get into the Word together. love to see these two men, Amen. Justin and Patrick, who love God and serve Him. Why don't we offer the Lord a praise for that? <laughs> it's certainly good to be with you this morning. And if you have your Bibles with you, would you please open them to the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to be reading this morning from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. Verses 10 through 17. Luke 13, verses 10 through 17. And the title of the message today is From Bondage to Freedom. From Bondage to Freedom. When you find the word, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity, 18 years, and was bent over and could in no wise raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loose from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her. And immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath lose his ox or his donkey from the stalk? And lead it away to water it? So had not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. It was by for prayer. Father God, thank you so much, Lord, for this blessed morning. We thank you, Father, this is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. And Father, as we gather together to bring glory and honor to thy name, Father, we remember Ancisor's family. We pray for her and for her family, Father, on the passing of her mother, who went to be with you. We pray that you will comfort them and give them peace in the midst of the storm. I pray, Father God, as well for my brethren who might be homebound and unable to be here this morning. I pray that you will also show yourself mighty on their behalf and that you will fill them with your presence and that you will minister unto them even in their need, that they will not feel lonely, that they know that they, if God be for us, who can be against us? I pray for my brethren who are here this morning at the sound of my voice. I pray your Holy Spirit will bless them today through the preaching of your word. I pray that you will use this humble servant of thine with the anointing that you have put in me, 
the power of your Holy Spirit to bring light and revelation of your word to their hearts. I pray, Father, that you will bind the enemy and that you will not allow him to disrupt what you want to do this morning in the hearts of my brothers and sisters. And I pray if there's anyone here, Father, at the sound of my voice who has been under attack from the enemy, that you will give him freedom today to be free and deliver by the power of your word. We thank you and we praise you for all of this, for we ask it all in the most wonderful, glorious, and eternal name of Jesus Christ and the people of God say, Amen. Please be seated. From bondage to freedom. It is literally a picture that we see throughout the Bible. As we see the enemy of God trying to disrupt the plan of God in the lives of people. But God steps in and through the living word of God, Jesus Christ, he can literally bring a person from bondage to freedom. If you will look with me in this passage, we see an image of a person who experienced bondage from Satan himself. And then we will see how Jesus Christ with his power, his compassion, his care, delivered her from that bondage. For you see, this passage is all about how Jesus can set us free. It is as we watch him deliver this sick woman from the bondage of her sickness, we get a picture of what he can do for us if we will come to him. Perhaps today will be the day when you identify what binds you and you get free from it forever. But you see, in this passage, there are four major revelations, or four things I want you to look at with me. The first thing I want you to look at is the condition of this woman, which in a way is our condition as well as we come into this world bound by sin, bound with that sinful nature, and sometimes even bound by Satan himself. It says here the, the setting is that Jesus had come one morning into a synagogue. He went to church. And he went to teach the word of God in that church. Because that is what a synagogue is, an assembly of believers. An assembly of people who are worshiping and seeking God. So Jesus believed in going to church. Sometimes people forget about that. That Jesus went to church. <laughs> Forget about it. I could just preach a message all by itself on that. But you see, when we see this condition of this woman, it says that it happened on the Sabbath. In verse 11, Jesus noticed this. He said, And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. A spirit of infirmity. In the Greek, that literally means a spirit that causes weakness physical weakness, bondage. That is what she had. She was not possessed by a demon, like in other cases. She was afflicted by one. It's a big difference. Was not physically or literally possessed, but was afflicted by one in such a way that her body was bent out of shape. She was bent over. The Bible says in verse 11, and bent over literally means to be completely dominated or controlled by something. 
So this spirit of sickness or weakness or bondage literally had come unto her and had fused her spine, made it rigid, and bent her over like this. Could you imagine a person walking around for 18 years like that without being able to raise herself up? Could you imagine that person just going out in public? Most of us will hide, right? Out of shame. Out of fear that people will reject us. She was bold enough to go to church. She was bold enough to go to church in her condition. How many of us get a little headache? <laughs> All right? We get a little headache, we, our toenail hurts. I mean, come on. This woman was seeking God no matter her condition. And that's what I want you to look at here. No matter her condition, she wanted to seek God. She wanted to receive from God. She was trusting in God. Despite the fact that God had not healed her or delivered her. That's difficult. She was seeking God notwithstanding her condition. No matter how much she tried, she was bent over. A medical doctor had tried to come up with a, what, the condition that, and I won't even try to describe it, but it's literally her body, her spine was fused. This demonic attack upon her literally fused her bones in her spine and caused her to bend over. Yet in that condition, she came to worship God. In that condition, she went to see God. The Bible says that for 18 years she did that. Literally, that's over a thousand times she went to church. Over a thousand times she went to worship God. She went to receive from God. She was expecting. She did not lose her faith in God. We have a beautiful example of this, and you will see the first verse on the screen. When Paul received a messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh... And after he prayed about it, God gave him this answer and said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So God has said that sometimes, sometimes, he's not going to answer our prayers right away. Sometimes he's not going to take that little thorn from the flesh. Sometimes he's just going to let it linger a little. It's difficult. It is difficult to trust God in that situation. Yet this woman did. And just like Paul, he said, My grace, I, the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is sufficient for us. Now we stand in our condition. Because we're never going to be sufficient enough. We're never going to have enough of anything. To overcome all things. To say, oh, trial number 1,250? Oh, no biggie. We never prepare for those things. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. 2 Corinthians 3, 5 says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. 
but our sufficiency is from God. God is our sufficiency. This is what this woman had learned for 18 years, even though she was bent over. For 18 years, she was bound by a spirit of weakness. She believed in God. She said, God is my sufficiency. I'm not going to stop worshiping God. I'm not going to stay home and hide myself. Must have been difficult. Because as we will read later, there were people there who weren't too kind to her. People sometimes judge at the appearance. Immediately they must say, well, must have sinned. This must have been a sinful woman for this to happen to her. Who knows what they were thinking. And despite all of that, she came. And despite all of that, she worshipped God. We are to do the same. So not only are we bound, but sometimes, sometimes, the devil throws a, a loop at us. And not only in bondage, but he also brings torment to our lives. He brings torment. For you see, the enemy is going to come against you. As you're seeking God to try to disrupt all of that. He's going to try to disrupt the plan of God for your life. He's going to do anything he can. By the way, let me put a plug in here for Sunday night service. If you, if you have, they know about it and have been missing it or are unable to come, I pray that you will try your best because we are covering just that. We're covering the armor of God. How to stand up against the walls of the devil. Because no matter whether we like it or not, he's still going to try. The enemy is going to come against you to keep you from seeking God. Like he came against her and bound her for 18 years. Look at her example. Even though the enemy had bound her, she still worshipped God. She still came seeking from God. She still had hope in her heart that God one day will deliver her. Can I hear amen? Kind of quiet in here. Job was a man who served God. The Bible says in Job chapter 1, verse 1, it says there was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. So just because you're doing the right thing doesn't mean the devil cannot come against you, especially if you're doing the right thing, he's going to come against you. Because the other people, the other side, the other team, the one that is not serving God, he's got them already. That's why they succeed in this world. That's why they accumulate all kinds of wealth and fame and all that kind of stuff. He's got them. They're bound in a different way. But if you're a believer, you're trying to seek God, he will come against you. And he didn't like this Job guy. He didn't like him. He didn't like the fact that he worshipped God, that he was a righteous man. And that he worshipped God together with his family. So he came against him. He, he asked the Lord, let me, let me at him. Let me at him. Give him a chance. And as you read in the first two chapters of Job, he came at him. He took all his wealth. Then took all his children. As if that wasn't enough, he came back a, a second time at it. In Job chapter 2 verse 7. In 2.7 he says, So Satan went up from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot 
to the crown of his head. Job was a, a believer. He was a believer. He was a worshiper of God. He was a righteous man. Yet Satan came at him. Painful boil from the sole of his foot. The enemy is going to come against you if you seek God. Don't be surprised at the storms when they rise up against you. When I first got saved, everything was fine till I got saved. And then all kind of hell broke loose in my life. You have to withstand the test. You have to stand firm and trust God that will, he will bring you through that storm. That he will answer and bring deliverance to you. This woman was tormented for 18 years. For 18 years she was tormented. I wonder how many might be here today who might be tormented with something in their lives. It doesn't have to be a physical thing. Could be emotional. Could even be spiritual. Satan will try, whenever you try to read the Bible or try to pray, all kinds of distractions will come up. Phone is going to ring incessantly. The dog is going to bark out of nowhere. The cat's going to find a mouse to chase. I mean, you think about it, all kinds of things happen as you're trying to seek God. But we got to be like Job. Because despite all that Satan did, it, even the fact that somebody told him, hey, why don't you just curse God and die? You know, he lost everything. Despite all of that, he chose to still trust God and wait upon his promise. Look in Job chapter 19, verses 25 to, through 27. He said this, for he said, I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, that means literally after I die. This I know that in my flesh I shall see God. Whom I shall see for myself. He believed in the resurrection from the dead. Praise God for that. And my eyes shall behold and not another. How my heart yearns within me. So in the midst of his condition. Having lost everything literally. And even his health. Satan afflicted him with boils all over his body. He still worshiped God. He still believed in God. So notwithstanding your condition, whatever kind of bondage it might be in your life, whether it's emotional, physical, or even spiritual, praise God. Trust God. Depend on God. And above all things, seek God. For just like you, you must seek God in the midst of your affliction. There's a verse I want, to, I want you to see with me in Psalm 22, verse 24. Psalm 22, 24, it says, For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. And there's something interesting here, and you should underline this in your Bible. The word affliction here in the Hebrew literally means the state of being oppressed in various ways. Physically, mentally, or spiritually. So in other words, as you are, might be experiencing an attack from the enemy. And you are afflicted. Don't, don't stop trusting in the Lord. Don't stop thinking that God can bring deliverance to you. Because after a little while, you know, he might just say, this is enough. 
And then he will rise up and bring freedom to your life. And we should always remember where our hope comes from. My hope doesn't come from some super intelligent person with a piece of paper in the wall. Right? You know what I mean? My hope doesn't come from some government official. As much as they might want to help, it doesn't come from there. My hope does not come from people out there who might be so-called good or good nature, trying to offer all kinds of assistance. My hope comes from the Lord himself. That's where our help comes. In Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, he says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My hope comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. We need to be like this woman. She knew her help came from the Lord. That's why she still went to church. That's why she still kept looking for him to deliver her. We need to be like her. Even though you might be experiencing bondage in your life, attack from the enemy, and might even be tormented by him, stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Praise God. That is the first thing I want you to see in this passage. But there's something else. In beginning in verse 12, we will see Christ's compassion. Verse 12, when he saw her, he called her to him. And I, I'm going to stop right there. There's several things in that short phrase there. When he saw her, he called her to him. First thing I want you to see is that Jesus cares for us. His compassion is care. He cares for you. He cares a lot more than we know. He is concerned about our situation. God knows what we go through. He's understanding. The word saw in the Greek literally means to know, to perceive, to see. So not only did he see her physically, her appearance, but he knew her heart as God knows your heart. He knew her emotions. She knew what she felt. She knew what she had experienced emotionally as well as she was experiencing physically. God cares for her. He cares for you. He sees our pain. He knows exactly what we're going through. And sometimes we cry out, God, oh God, just like the disciples in the boat, and say, oh, don't you care that we die, you know? We need to trust God and to know that he cares for you. He knows what we go through. When the people of Israel were in the bondage of the Egyptians, God saw their bondage. And God said, I'm going to do something about it. And we read this, you will see it on the screen, in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. And he says, and the Lord said, I've surely seen, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. God knows what you go through as he knew what they were going through at the time. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land to a land flowing with milk and honey because certainly when God sees your need he has the answer for it 
He has the solution to your problem. And he wants to bring you aid and comfort. And his holy presence. In Psalm 33 verse 18. He says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. On those who hope in his mercy. God sees what you're going through. God knows what you are feeling. God knows what you are experiencing today. And he wants to help you. He wants to bless you. Because that is when we come. They came out of that land of bondage. Into that land of milk and honey. That is that. To, to the blessings of God. Praise God for that. David prayed this in Psalm 86 verse 15. He said, But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. God has all the compassion and care that you need. God knows what you feel. But the second thing I want you to see here in verse 12 in the first phrase is not only did he see her, but he also called her to him. For Jesus sees our condition and calls us to him. He knows where we're at. He knows what we're feeling. He knows what we're experiencing. He doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to come to him so he can bring what we need. So he can bring deliverance and freedom to your life. The word call in the Greek literally means to summon, to come to him. It's a command. So he commanded her to come. As he commands us to come to him. To bring him all our toils and sufferings. To bring him all our petitions. God certainly knows what we need. But he wants us to ask him. He still wants him to bring him to us. What are you experiencing today? What need do you have in your life today? He's calling you to come to him. When he saw Zacchaeus and that sycamore tree, that little man in stature, he was up in that tree trying to see Jesus, but he didn't know that Jesus had already seen him and Jesus was calling him. Look with me, Luke 19, verse 5. Luke 19, 5 says, When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Once we hear the call of God on our lives, make haste to answer it. Don't wait around for it. When you hear God calling you to come to him in prayer without need, without situation, without difficulty, without trial, without attack from the enemy, don't linger about it. Come to him and bring it to him. Because he wants to answer it. He wants to bless you. As he finished meeting up with Zacchaeus, Jesus said this about him in Luke 19.10. He said, for the Son of Man had come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what he came to do. So he's coming seeking us. Not only to save us, but also to deliver us, to bless us, to encourage us. If you're feeling down today and you're feeling overwhelmed with stuff in your life, bring it to the Lord. He's calling you to come to him. He wants to help you. He wants to deliver you. He wants to bless you. 
And God, because he knows exactly what we need, he's not going to give you something else. He's going to give us what we need. Praise God. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, he said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you're laboring with something, if you're heavy laden with a situation, and there is no solution before you, come to him. He wants to give you rest. He wants to bring the answer that only he can give. The second part of this, verse 12 and verse 13, we see the third thing I want you to see in this passage is his deliverance. His deliverance. He says, But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loose from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Oh, there's several things I want you to see on this passage. First of all, I want you to see that Jesus touches us. Jesus touches you when you have a problem, when you have a need, when you need something from him, when you are being burdened by the enemy, he will come and give you his touch that will bring the solution to your situation. He said, woman, you are loose from your infirmity. So before he even touched her, he declared it. He declared her healing. Because God is a God who calls the things that are not as though they are. Know the Bible say that about the Lord? God is a God who calls the things that are not, that are not physically manifested already as though they are. He already declaring it. Before Abraham had a child, God told him, you're going to have a child. And Abraham said, oh man, this old man right here? When his wife heard it, she laughed and laughed. She couldn't believe it. And I said, you certainly going to have a year from now. Go get ready. God calls the things that are not as though they are. And because he, when he brings his touch to your life, everything changes. You're not going to be the same again. You're not going to be the same. When God touches your life, you're going to be changed. There's going to be revolution inside of you. There's going to be a transformation. There's going to be a change like it never been before. When a person grabs, is grabbed by the Lord for salvation, that person is never the same. That person that exists is no longer the same person. Physically, you might look the same, but you're different. You're a different person in the inside. We need to praise God for a Savior's touch. Even Peter's mother-in-law got touched by Jesus. Praise God for mother-in-laws. Amen. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. He said, now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she arose and served them. When Jesus touches you, he changes things. Amen? Amen. He changes things. Things are not going to be the same after he touches them. Situations are not going to be the same. Problems are going to be completely turned right side up and no longer be, going to be a problem. By the way, the word loosed here in verse 12 literally means to free, to completely loosen. 
So as he spoke this word of freedom upon this woman who was bent over. And by the way, notice how obedient she was. She came to him. Right? We need to be obedient to what God speaks to our hearts. We need to be obedient to the word of God. We need to be obedient and following obedience. Because you never know when God's going to bless you. Even coming to church. It's an act of obedience on our part. We don't know when there's going to be a special blessing for us just for showing up. Amen? This woman showed up. 18 years she kept going to church. But that day there was something special for her. And she didn't know about it. But God was about to touch her life. So when he spoke. You can just imagine that bent over. God started moving. Right? But there's more here. Says he, when he laid his hands on her, when he touched her, the word laid literally means to fall upon. Ooh, when God falls upon you, you're not going to be the same. All right? When God falls upon you, you're not going to be the same. What about Jacob when he wrestled with the angel of the Lord? He wasn't the same after that because when he got up, he had a limp. He thought he was doing well for a while till he touched his hip socket there and then he had a limp for the rest of his life. When God touches you, he literally falls upon you and does a miracle in your life. The word made straight here. Immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Literally means to edify anew. To edify anew. He gave her a new spine. He worked everything out in there. He did it completely brand new. Can you imagine when that woman fell the bones in her back suddenly moved like they had never moved for 18 years. And she stood up. Woo! Can you imagine that? We should remember that in John 8.36. In John 8.36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Can I hear an amen to that word? When the Son makes you free, you're going to be free indeed. You're not going to be half free. You're going to be free. Amen. When God touches you and touches your life and touches your situation, it's not going to be the same. Amen. It's not going to be the same. Jesus transformed her life in an instant. And that last phrase there in verse 13. It says, as soon as she was made straight, glorify God. She glorified God. And that's the second thing I want you to see. Not only does he touch us, but he transforms us. He transforms the situation in your life and changes it anew. And one of the things that brings that change into our hearts is praise unto our God. It says the first thing she did, she glorified God. She glorified God. Now, wait a minute. You might say, well, Pastor Frank. Okay, yeah, praise God. It's not like that. In the Greek, it literally means when she glorified God, that she began praising God and kept praising God. So she didn't stop. She didn't stop. What a service that morning. <laughs> Threw everything out of whack. All the planes of the synagogue official, all the worship plans that he had, everything got monkey wrench suddenly. 
Because when God shows up, everything changes. You can't be the same after that. So when he made her straight, she started praising God and didn't stop. Don't stop praising God in your life. Praise him for everything he has done, is doing, and will continue to do. Praise God. Don't let your mouth be silent. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Don't be shy about it either. Lydia throw, shocks so many, so many people when we're in public. I'm telling you what. When we go to the grocery store and we're paying or something and she's interacting with uh, the, the lady in the cash register or the gentleman and every once in a while when they say something, they'll say, praise God. She'll say, praise God. And then look at her like, like what, are you, what are you? Where did you come from? The world doesn't understand when a believer praises God. Even in the midst of a storm, we are to praise God. Amen? Look what David said in Psalm 40. David said this. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. That's why we got to praise God. Amen. People need to know what God is doing. Amen. People need to know what God has done in your life. And that is the easiest way to witness to someone. Just tell them what God has done in your life. Just tell them how he brought you from darkness to light. Just tell them how he changed your children. How he saved them. Just tell them how he delivered somebody from drugs. Just tell them how he saved your family from a divorce. Just tell them what God has done in your life. In Psalm 30 verses 11 and 12. Likewise. It says this, you have turned for me my morning into dancing. I can just see this woman there. She wasn't quiet anymore. She was having a happy fest. Are you a happy believer? We need to be happy believers. We need to be happy even in the midst of a storm. That is the most difficult time to praise God. And that is the most important time to praise Him. Because the Bible says... Not on the screen, but the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. Doesn't it say that? So that means God shows up when you praise him. God shows up. I like to have, know and I like to have God's presence in my life at all times. So if I feel a little attack from the enemy, the first thing I go, I start praising God. I start worshiping God. Because when God shows up, guess who needs to leave? That's right. To the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. Don't be silent. This woman wasn't silent. Oh Lord my God will give thanks to you forever. But there's one final thing that I want you to see in this passage. And it is that we see his authority. Because his authority is above all. It is God in the flesh literally who was there that morning in that synagogue. The living word of God. And he definitely has authority. He has power. He has ability to change things and to make them right. 
Amen? For his authority literally brings light and truth. It brings light and truth. There are two things here I want you to see. First of all, is revealing. And two, the two things that it reveals in this passage, it reveals religious hypocrisy. Verse 14, but the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. Modern terminology, he was ticked off. He was hot under the collar. He was mad. All right? He answered with indignation. This is not a, a, a jovial conversation he had. He's probably yelling by now. He's yelling at the top of his lungs. He, you can see the anger in his face. He answered with indignation because Jesus had healed, oh, lo and behold it, on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, notice he's trying to get people on his side. He said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. The Jews had several rules and regulations under the law. And one of them is that they weren't to do physical things, physical labor. And they only looked at that part of the law. They didn't look at that part about mercy and justice. They only cared about what they saw in front of them. And they didn't care if anybody had a problem, especially this woman who for 18 years kept coming to the synagogue. They never lifted a finger to pray for her, to bring deliverance to her, because that would be, in his mindset, work. So I can't help this person, because I'll be working. Oh, can't do that. I got to keep on my strictly. Jesus reveals religious hypocrisy. Two verses here I want you to see, both in Matthew 23. The first one is Matthew 23, 13. Speaking to the Pharisees, to religious hypocrites, Jesus said this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. And that is what religion does. It binds people with rules and regulation and keeps them from getting to heaven. It keeps them from having a relationship with the living God. That's why God hates religion. He does. Religion is of man, it's of Satan, it's not of God. God did not come to give us religion. He came to give us relationship. A relationship with Jesus Christ. Forget about religion. When people ask me, are you a religious person? That's like giving me a four-letter word. Are you a religious person? I am not. And I thank God that even before I was a heathen, like you, <laughs> I was not a religious person. I was lost. And God had mercy on me and rescued me. And then started, gave me a wonderful relationship with the living God through his son, Jesus Christ. That is what he came to bring us. So he doesn't like religion. He doesn't like when people try to bind others and force them to do things, even in churches sometimes. Do this. We can't do that. Let's have freedom in Christ. Let's just worship God and go by the word of God, our guidebook, for truth and light. In Matthew 23, verse 23, he also said this to those religious types. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Once again, he called them the same thing. For you pay tithe 
of meat, anise, and cumin. Look at all the things they used to do. Pay a tithe of those three things. And have neglected the weightier matters of the law. In other words, the most important parts. Justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. There are so many churches out there who are bound by tradition and bound by religious ligaments. And they have forgotten the most important thing. To let people come to the Lord. To let people experiencing God in their lives. So they can have a relationship with Him as well. I just continue preaching on that, but I'll leave it for another day. But there's a second thing that his authority reveals. He not only reveals hypocrisy. And by the way, when he called this gentleman a hypocrite, in verse 15, Jesus has said this, hypocrite, literally in the Greek is plural. So in, in other words, there were more than one. There was more than one hypocrite in that synagogue that day. And he told him, does not each of you on the Sabbath lose his ox and his donkey from the store and lead it away to water? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath. Jesus is revealing his mission. That is the second thing he reveals. He reveals his mission. Jesus had a mission. In Luke chapter 4, verses 4, Verses 18 and 19, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And this met that category, by the way. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That was a mission of Jesus Christ. He came looking for this woman. He came to deliver her from the bondage of Satan. From the spirit of weakness that she had. From Satan himself. Just like he has come to deliver you today for what ails you. What binds you. For what troubles you. That is his mission even today. And guess what? By default, as his disciples. As a church of Jesus Christ. The people of God. We have inherited that mission too. Oh, Pastor Frank, I thought you weren't going to say that. Yes, we did. We have inherited that mission. In Acts 26, verse 18, Jesus speaking to the Apostle Paul after he got saved, told him this, to open their, their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith that is in me. That is the mission of the church today, is to go seeking, looking for the people who are oppressed by Satan and bringing deliverance to them in the name of Jesus Christ. Because we have the living word of God in our hearts. We can proclaim his goodness to others. We can bring light. And the Bible says when light comes in, it casts out that darkness. Amen? Amen? And the last thing I want you to look at here, under his authority, is that he restores everything. He sets everything right that was backwards, that was broken, that was unfixed. And literally, he wants to do that for you today. Look at verse 17. 
And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. Solution number one. All the religious types that were put to shame. And then he says, All the multitude rejoice for all the glorious things that were done by him. And that is why God is at work today. That is why God is bringing his light in the midst of the darkness. And he is fixing what the devil has broken. Because he wants the people to rejoice and to praise him for his glory and honor. Jesus wants to restore you today. He wants to bring restoration to your life. If the enemy has made your life feel like a minefield. And everywhere, every time you step on this or step on that or go this way or go that way, something blows up in your life. And it's about time that you come to Jesus Christ and let him bring restoration to you. In Psalm 34, verse 22. Psalm 34, 22, it says, The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. God wants to redeem you. And he wants to redeem the things that are broken in your life. In Psalm 102, 103, part of verse 2 and then part of verse 4, it says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And this is one of the things that he does for us. Who redeems your life from destruction? What the enemy meant for evil, God can turn out for good. God can change things. There is nothing that he cannot do. The Bible says if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. All things are possible. The only limit that God has is our own understanding of what he can do for us. Amen. Our own unbelief. God cannot work with there's unbelief. If you're bound by unbelief, let it go. Let a little grain of mustard seed begin growing in your heart. And then you're going to see the restoration that Jesus can bring into your life. And I close with this passage. Isaiah 35, verse 10. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. It says, And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy in their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighting shall flee away. Only God can do that. Only God can fix what is broken in your life. Only God can bring deliverance to a situation that has been bothering you for a long time, that has been afflicting you. Only Jesus can do that. Do you need the Savior's touch today? Do you need him to intervene in an area of your life or in an area one of a person you love? Maybe your own family. You must bring to the Lord whatever is afflicting you. Not doing so is showing unbelief. Let us not be people who don't believe in the power of God to change things. Let us be like this woman who have been bound for 18 years. But despite all of that, kept looking, kept looking, kept expecting God to bring deliverance to her life. God wants to bring deliverance to your life today, to that situation that has been tormenting you for so long. Let it go and let God do it. Give it to him. Offer it to him. Do not be shy or fearful. 
Though he certainly wants to bless you and to bring restoration to your life. Will you please bow your heads with me? And as soon as I pray, we're going to have a, a time of prayer and response. And as the music plays, I'm going to ask you if there's something in your life today that you would like to bring to Jesus. If there's something that he's been calling you to, I pray that you will be obedient to him, that you will come and that you will give it to him. There's certainly plenty of space here in the front and you can come and have a word of prayer with him. But I would love to pray for you as well. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Father, for bringing us from bondage to freedom. We thank you, Father, for bringing the deliverance that we need. We thank you, Father, for overcoming the power of the enemy and allowing us to experience your grace, your goodness, your care, and your compassion. I pray, Father, that you will touch those at the sound of my voice. And depending on whatever might be ailing them or afflicting them, I pray, Father, that they will give it to you, that they will let you touch their lives today. And I pray that you will do the miracle that they've been seeking. I thank you and I praise you for it. We pray your Holy Spirit will minister to their hearts now. For we ask all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Let us please stand.